Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. I know you can hear me because I can definitely hear that too. So, but it's, uh, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here and glad that if you are visiting with us, as has already been mentioned, but I want to reiterate, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping God with us today. I'm glad that you're here. I hope to get to know you better. I hope that we build a relationship and we help each other get to heaven, but I'm glad today you are here worshiping God. This morning, we're talking about the storms of life. How do we deal with the storms of life? And we think about that. All of us today, in some form or fashion, are dealing with some sort of storm. Some of us are dealing with big storms, storms that have uh, wrecked us and that have really uh, messed with our hearts, messed with our lives, and make every day difficult. Others of us just maybe have just a low rumble, and maybe that low rumble is kind of constantly throughout your life, stress and difficulty and things that, that aren't big deals, but they're still things that you have to deal with every day. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, It'll be a familiar passage to you, a familiar part of Scripture, a story that certainly you've heard about uh, many times. We're going to set the context of it, walk through it, uh, enjoy a couple of maybe Jesus' most famous miracles, most significant miracles uh, we might think about. And what we want to look at is what can we learn about dealing with life's storms from these stories that most of us know very well. Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get that on your phone, get that on your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one on the back of the pew in front of you, and uh, that is on page number 408, sorry, 820. I don't know where 408 came from. 820. Uh, Don't turn to 408. I don't know what's there. Uh, 820, Matthew chapter 14. What I want us to start with appreciating is the fact that Jesus was a real person. Yes, he's God. Yes, he died and was buried and resurrected. Yes, he has ascended up into heaven and is with the Father waiting for the day in which he will come back and receive us all into himself. But he was a real person. We think about Peter, when we think about Andrew, James and John, Bartholomew and all the other apostles, they were real people and they had real struggles. The same things that you struggle with, they struggled with. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. So every temptation you've ever experienced, Jesus experienced either exactly that or at least something very similar to the temptation that you have experienced. He knows what you have gone through and he was a person just like you. The only difference was... And the really important difference was where you have failed and where I have failed, Jesus never failed. He was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Praise God for that because because of that, he is our perfect sacrificial lamb that allows us to have all of our sins forgiven. But that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have bad days. And in Matthew chapter 14, we enter into a time period where Jesus is having a bad day. At the end of Matthew chapter 13, uh, he hears about his cousin John the Baptist, the forerunner of his ministry, the one whom uh, God appointed to be the forerunner. So someone not just important in Jesus' life, but someone important in the scheme of redemption throughout all of eternity. That God appointed John the Baptist to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Okay, A significant biblical character in the story of God's redemption of mankind. And not, not only that, but they were related. They were family. And John he, or Jesus hears about John the Baptist has been murdered. He's been killed. He's been executed. He had been beheaded. And what do you think he's feeling about that? Well, we know what he feels about that because in starting in Matthew chapter 14, in verse 13, it says, this is actually Matthew 14, the early part is where we hear about John. Uh, in vo- Matthew 14, 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard about John, okay, so he hears that his significant spiritual individual in his life his cousin his family member someone that he spent time with no doubt probably 
grew up alongside in some form or fashion when they uh, got together as family members, as certainly the Jewish community would have done. When Jesus hears about John, what did he do? And again, we're talking today about how can we weather, how can we deal with life's storms? And we're going to talk about a couple of different things in this section of Scripture. And there are some specific things that are happening here. We want to look for principles that we can apply to our life. And this applies, again, if you're going through today some, some really big storms in your life, you can apply these principles to those big storms in your life. This is the third Sunday in a row that we have had either a member or a close family member of a member here at Jefferson Avenue pass away. Two of them, the last two weeks, have been, well, I'd say all three of them have been unexpected tragedies some people here today are going through big storms whether it's related to those three incidences or any other incidents some of us today in this room we're here and we're glad we're here and we're worshiping God but let's don't pretend that everything's okay because for some of us not everything's okay all right the big principles or the big problems in your life, you can apply these principles to it in your life to weather the storms that you're facing, whether they're big ones or small ones or wherever they might be. So the principles we'll look at today, you can apply these things to your life. Now, I do want to say not as a, uh, uh, um, I want to say this as a true statement to, to help you understand it. The things that we're going to talk about today will apply to every problem you may ever have. You can apply these things uh, to the storms that you're facing. But that doesn't mean that there's not more that you can do. Specifically, what I want to mention is the idea of, of mental health, okay? We'll talk about some things today, and I don't want you to, to get this, this picture in your mind, that if you struggle with mental health, and again, let's don't be naive enough or foolish enough to say that folks here don't struggle with mental health, because we do, right? We do struggle with mental health. So what I want us to say is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize some faith and the importance of faith, but I'm not saying at all that all you need to overcome mental health issues is more faith, okay? You need faith, and you need a lot of faith to face whatever issue you're going through, but if I had cancer, I wouldn't just rely on my faith for healing. And if I have a problem with my mental health, I'm not just going to reply on faith, rely on faith to make me better. I'm going to use the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that God has given to mankind to help treat whatever my problem is. So yes, we're going to talk about spiritual things that we can do that can help us weather whatever storm we're in, but that doesn't mean that we deny or we don't take advantage of the opportunity that God has given to us through science and uh, medical professionals to get other kind of help that we need. So what's Jesus do? What does Jesus do when he uh, faces this difficulty in his life? What's the first thing that he does? Verse 13 of Matthew 14. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard of this, they followed him on foot from the city. So what's the first thing? What's one thing that we can do to help us to deal with the storms of life? Jesus, our role model, our example, and our savior, he, he sought solitude. We can seek Solitude. Now, I'd also want to mention that solitude is not isolation. And I think sometimes when we get into this, this area of seeking solitude, we get ourselves in trouble when we isolate ourselves. Well, you may ask yourself, well, what's the difference? Seeking solitude is not denying interaction with other people. It's trying to get alone with your own thoughts. Isolation is prolonged lack of contact with other people. There is a big difference between seeking solitude and falling into 
isolation, and we need to be aware of that. We know that Jesus isn't looking to just be alone. Look down to verses 22 and 23 of the same passage. After a lot of things happen that we're going to talk about as we walk through this, he goes back and he seeks some more solitude. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go, of him to, go ahead of him to the other side And while, while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. It says by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. This, this passage, verse 13 starts with he goes to a desolate place by himself and then there's going to be a lot of interruptions to this solitude that he's seeking but he doesn't isolate himself because there's opportunities that are going to come into his life where he's going to be able to do some other things so he's not isolating himself he's not separating himself completely from people but he is seeking solitude and that solitude is so important that after all the distractions are dealt with and he does the things that he needs to do he still seeks that solitude He seeks that time to be with his thoughts, but I would not say he would seek his time to be alone with his thoughts. What did verse 22 and 23 say? He goes to do what? To pray. Now, I would say, I I think that I can confidently say this, that when I'm by myself in in my own room and I'm praying to God, I'm not alone. I don't think God speaks to me miraculously. I don't think God reveals anything new, but I know the Holy Spirit is interceding for me and I'm talking to God above and he is listening. When I'm praying, I'm never alone. But certainly God would, Jesus would be able to say that, right? Jesus is God, the son of God, and he's going and he's seeking help from the most helpful being that he can find. He seeks that solitude, but not to be alone, not to isolate himself, but to get the helps that he needs from God. Did you listen to Psalm 77 that BJ read to us earlier? Did you listen to while he was reading? It's, it's a psalm that is, it's a little bit unique. It's not totally unique in the psalms. But did, did you risk the, the, the first half of what he said was this, this psalmist is crying out to the Lord and he doesn't, he's not getting the answers that he needs and he's struggling and he, he's, just, he's just emotionally distraught because he doesn't feel like God is giving to him what he needs. But then towards the end of it, he says, but I'm going to remember the good deeds of God. Sometimes, maybe this morning, when we seek solitude, you ever just need to take a deep breath? You ever just need to stop and wait a minute and just take a deep breath? Sometimes when you're dealing with a storm, you need to take a deep breath. You need to seek some solitude. Look at verse, the last part of verse 13 and then verse 14. He seeks this solitude by himself, but the crowds hear about it and they follow him on foot from the cities. Verse 14, and he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. When we think about when I'm dealing with the storms of life, what can I do? I can seek solitude. Another thing that I can do that will help me deal with the storms that I'm dealing with is help others or meet other people's needs. Why is that important? Why is that helpful? Because it provides perspective. I've got problems. I've got issues. I've got things that I'm going through, but I'm not alone or unique in that, am I? And when I see that you have problems and you have issues or folks outside this building have problems and issues and I try to help and meet those needs, then it provides perspective for myself. Notice what he says. He's, he's trying to get away. He's going to a desolate place, not just walking to a desolate place. He gets in a boat and he's trying to get away from everybody. But they hear about it and as soon as he gets there, the large crowd, what does he do? He feels compassion for them and he heals they're sick. It provides perspective. Can we, here's a question for you, and here's maybe the, the way that you can judge where you're at in, in the, the, the storm that you're dealing with. When you're dealing with a storm, can you see others' needs in your own difficulty? 
Even though you're in the midst of difficulty, can you recognize that other people are going through difficulty too? You see, mourning, mourning, whether it be the death of a loved one or the death of a situation or whatever it might be, mourning is not a bad thing, but mourning does not need to turn into a paralyzing pity party. Have you been there? Have you ever had a a paralyzing pity party where the only thing that you can see is your own problems and your own difficulties and, and because of that you can't, even, you can't even see that there are people all around you that might need your help? Jesus is dealing with the death not only of a close family member but also of someone who's important for the scheme of redemption. He, is, he, we, we, he seems to really be struggling and need this time alone and he's denied that time And he's still able to see and meet other people's needs. Number three, what can we do when we're dealing with the storms of life? Let me suggest to you that there will be frustrations. How do we overcome those frustrations? You know this passage in uh, Matthew 14, verses 15 through uh, 21. Let's read it and then let's talk about it, okay? Matthew 14, starting verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. But they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And according and ordering the crowd to sit on the grass, he took five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate and were all satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 people, men who ate, besides women and children. The feeding of the 5,000. An amazing uh, miracle that we have. What's, what's, the, what's the lesson that we can learn, the principle the principle that we can take from this passage about how we deal with uh, our struggles. Have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever felt overwhelmed with a problem? All of us have, right? You've done, that happens in math class and in, in, in school. That happens on your job when you've got a project to do. That happens in our marriages. That happens with our children. That happens with our parents. That happens driving down the road. We've always, we, we have all been in a lot of different ways frustrated and maybe feeling like, what can I do to fix this? Now, we've already talked about seeking solitude and seeking God's help, and that's certainly what we need to do and meeting other people's needs as we can. But when we're just frustrated and we don't see a way forward, what can we do? What do, they, what do the disciples do? You know, in a parallel passage, we, we realize that the, the, the fish and the loaves come, actually come from a little boy, right? And the little boy brings them to Andrew, the apostle, and then Andrew brings them to Jesus. Let me suggest, this is one of my favorite quotes. I don't even remember where it came from, but I would, I would encourage you to remember this in your life, especially the next time that you're frustrated and you just don't know what to do. I would say this is absolutely true and, and, and a principle that we can get from the story of the feeding the 5,000, and it can be true in your life today as well. Do what you can with what you have where you're at. Do what you can with what you have, where you're at. They're in the middle of a desolate place. There's no food around here. Jesus, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and get some food. No, we don't have to send them away. You give them something to eat. Jesus asked them to do something. And they say, well, all we have are these loaves and fish. That's not enough for all of these people. And Jesus takes what they offer, what the little boy offered, brought to Andrew, and what Andrew offered to Jesus. He takes what they offered, do what you can with what you have, where you're at, and what does Jesus do? He multiplies it, just like he always does. See, the problem is, if we ever say, I've got this, I can handle this by myself, then we're not relying on God, and if we only rely on ourselves, you may succeed for a time, 
But at some point you will fail. You may do well for a time, but at some point you'll fall short. Only when we give what we can, when we plant the seed, when we water the soil, does God give the increase. Yes, that's true about evangelism, but that's true in just about everything in our life. Do what you can with what you have where you're at. Now listen, can you do any more than that? Can you do any more than doing what you can? Can you give any more than giving what you have? Can you be other places than right where you're at? No. Do what you can, whatever that is. With what you have, whatever that is. Wherever you're at, wherever that is. God does not expect you to do more than that. But he expects you to do all of that. Do what you can with what you've got, where you're at. If if the storm in your life today is frustration, there's a good principle for you. Then lastly, what else can we learn from this passage? The next passage you you are familiar with in verses 22 throughout the rest of the chapter. And uh, I'm going to tell you what happens. You can take the time to read it, but I think you're familiar with it. Uh, We already read verses 22 and 23. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, he sends the apostles, the disciples, away to the other side of the sea. Again, I don't know what's going through their mind. Uh, maybe, maybe they left Jesus' other boat there. I'm not sure, but it doesn't say that they came in a boat. If you go back up to verse 13 where we started, you know, Jesus goes by himself alone in a boat to the other side. And it seems like the disciples or the apostles are traveling along with the crowds to where he's at. So it, in my mind, we only read one boat. There's only one boat that starts this journey. And then Jesus puts the disciples into that one boat and he sends them away. Maybe he thought, they think that he's just going to walk around uh, to the other side of the sea. I don't know what they're thinking, but he wants to be alone. They realize that, they get it. They get into the boat and they go out there. Jesus goes up on the mountain, he prays. And then later on it says uh, that they are in the middle of the sea, the middle of the, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And the wind is contrary. There's a, there's a storm going on. Uh, and the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night will be somewhere between uh, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's dark, all right? It's dark, it's the, it's the middle of the night, it's when hopefully most of us are still asleep, though some of you got to wake up early and go to work, I get it. But it's, it's dark outside. And what do they see? As they're, as they're battling the waves and battling the wind and trying to get this, this boat across, you know, just, just think about that, being on a boat in the middle of the sea in the middle of the night trying to, to go across. Jesus, we'll just stay here with you for a little bit. No, I need to be alone. You guys go ahead and go over to the other side. But they see what they think, what they call a ghost, and they're terrified. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be afraid. It's me. And then Peter, who, as we've mentioned a number of times, Peter's always the, the first one to, to, to speak up. And uh, after I said that in the last sermon, uh, Philip Burr gave me some information that, that he had studied, uh, that possibly the reason uh, that Peter, and this is interesting, so I want to share it with you, uh, possibly the reason that Peter's always the first one to speak up is maybe not so much because of his personality, but because perhaps he was the oldest I'd have to do some more research to figure this out. Uh, the oldest of the apostles in the Jewish culture, the, the oldest disciple of a teacher or of a rabbi would have been the first person to speak up. Okay, so there's a, maybe a logical reason. It, it, Peter still gets himself in a lot of trouble because he does it, right? He still says things maybe without thinking a whole lot. Uh, but but as, as they're seeing what they think, at least initially, is a, is a ghost, and Jesus says, Lord, or they say, don't, he says, don't worry, it's me. Peter says, Lord, if it's you... Now, Peter could have said anything. Just because he had to speak first doesn't mean he had to say this. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And again, when I hear this story, and every time I talk about this story, I almost see Jesus with a smirk on his face saying, okay, Peter, come. And he simply says, come. 
And all of that is amazing. But the most amazing part is not that Jesus was walking on water, not that they were terrified and overcome, not that Jesus says, don't worry, it's me, not that even that Peter was brave enough to say, hey, if it's really you to command me to come to you on the water, the most amazing part to me is that he actually did it. Jesus calls his bluff. All right, Peter, come on. And Peter, a person just like me and you, not God in the flesh, steps out of the boat, and walks on water. What's your boat today? You know, we think about in that story, our minds would say, well, the safest place to be in the middle of that storm-tossed sea is in the boat. But Peter knew better. Peter knew that the safest place to be in the middle of his storm was walking on the water with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Or at least he would soon find that out. Because we know what happens, right? He, he does. Peter walks on the water. And then he, he says he sees the, the wind and must feel the rain and the waves all about him. And he gets distracted and he he's take, look his, takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. And as soon as he does, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus is there immediately to reach down and save him. Peter learned the lesson that the safest place to be was on the water. But you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we can run with endurance that race that is set before us, so that we can walk on water. I, I promise you, Peter did not wake up that morning. Peter did not help feed those 5,000 people thinking, you know, later on today, about, you know, 4.30 in the morning, I'm going to walk on the water. He never thought that. No one would have ever, as far as we know, Jesus had not walked water, on water before this. That's why they're so frightened. And as far as we know, Jesus never walked on water after this. A completely unique experience in all of human history. Peter didn't wake up thinking he would do that. But when he put his faith and his trust and his hope and was willing to step out of the boat, he was able to do something he never thought he could do. I'd say the same thing's true for you. What's your boat? What's the thing that you place your hope in, your trust in, your comfort in? And it's safe, but it limits you. It limits you from doing what God really wants to use you to do. What's your boat? Is it your bank account? Is it your talent? Is it your ability? Is it your self righteousness? I'm a good person. Is it your family? See, anything that, that, things that can be good can be our boat. They can hold us back and we can put all of our, our, our trust in it rather than putting our trust in the Lord, putting our trust in Jesus. And then lastly, when we think about dealing with storms of life and all different things, that, that, all different kinds of storms, when we think about Peter walking on water, I want you to understand that failure isn't final. Failure isn't final because Peter did not walk all the way to Jesus, did he? He took his eyes off Jesus, he began to fall, and he cried out. So he had, to, he had the faith and the courage to step out, and he had the knowledge to cry out. He stepped out of the boat, saying, Jesus, if you command it, I can do it. Did you hear what I said? If you command it, I can do it. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. If God, if Jesus commanded it, then we can do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If Jesus commanded it, we can do it. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If Jesus commanded it, we can do it. Honor God with your first fruits. If God commands it, we can do it. 
be humble and humble yourself to the Lord so that he can lift you up at the proper time. If God commands it, then we can do it. Whatever command, whatever issue, whatever storm that you're going through, if Jesus says, if God says, I'm going to help you through these things and here are the things that I want you to do, if he commands it, then we can do it. We've just got to be brave enough to step out of the boat and smart enough when we fail to cry out to the Lord. I don't know what storm you're going through today, but I know you're likely, many of us are going through some sort of storm. Maybe it's a crisis of faith. Maybe it's a death in the family. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's stress in your marriage or with your kids or with your parents. Maybe it's trouble at school. I don't know what it is, but I know we've got struggles. I know we face storms. I want to encourage you to remember to do these things, to seek solitude to help other people so that will provide perspective and you won't be paralyzed in your own sadness. Remember to be brave enough to not rely on anything more than you rely upon the Lord. And then when you find yourself in trouble, be smart enough not to hide your failings, but to cry out to the Lord for help. And I love the fact that when it says that Peter cried out, Jesus was there how quickly? Immediately. He was there immediately to save him christians brothers and sisters that's the god that we follow the lord that we serve let's remember that and remember that he cares for us and that he wants to be there for us this morning if you're not a christian i want you to understand that that same god loves you and loves you enough to to have come and and died for you and this morning i would say most of us in here maybe not all of us i'm not naive enough to think that but i'd say most of us in here are believers in god If you're a believer in God, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God? Are you willing and interested? Are you even interested in allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Meaning that he's going to be the one that the things that he says, the things that he does, the principles that he gives, the command that he gives to us, you're going to try to live your life according to those things. Are you going to make him the Lord of your life? Will you repent of your sins? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't do anything else. You've got to get rid of any other leader or any other principles that you might follow. And then will you be baptized into Christ? When we think about this idea of stepping out and crying out, when we are baptized, all we're doing is crying out just like Peter saying, Lord, save me. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, uh, Paul recounting his conversion says that someone came to him and said, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. This morning, if you're a believer and you're interested in following Jesus, Jesus says, you've got to follow me. You've got to let me be the Lord of your life. And one of the things that he commands us to do is to be baptized into him to have all of our sins washed away and the scripture tells us in romans chapter 6 and other places that when we do that we 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 crucify we kill that old person the old struggles and difficulties and failures that you've got in your life all of those things are washed away they're forgotten and you rise up a new creature you're a new person you get a new beginning are you interested in any of that if you are we're interested in looking more at what the bible says about you becoming a follower of jesus a Christian. We'd love to talk to you about that. This morning, if you're going through a struggle, if you're going through a trial and you've tried to handle it yourself, stop. Stop trying to just handle it yourself and certainly please cry out to God for the help that you need.
Seek him in solitude and focus on him. But please also know whether you are here every single time these doors are opened or this is the first time you've ever stepped into this building, this group of people that meet here, the congregation, the family at Jefferson Avenue, we love you. Not because you're perfect, but because we're all imperfect. And we all need help. And if you need help today, in just a second, we're going to stand and sing a song. You can come forward and you can talk to me. Some of our shepherds might come up here if you want to talk to them. And we'd love to just begin the process of helping you through whatever you're dealing with. But you don't have to face whatever storms you're dealing with alone. We're here for you. If you're interested in becoming a Christian this morning, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you have a struggle or a difficulty and you need help, we're here for you. Don't think that we're not. You are not alone. Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself away from the church. We're the family of God, the body of Christ, and we want to help you. If you have any needs, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.